0: Bienvenidos a Estoy Aquí. We are your hosts, Catherine Borgen and Catherine Castro. Quereras de Cultura and Justicia, bringing you your dose of spice. Hey KB, ¿qué onda? Girl, where do I start? It's been, <laughs> it's been quite some time since we recorded. Lots of changes in the works. Yes, as y'all might have noticed,
1: we've moved from bi-weekly episode releases to monthly releases.
0: Yes, we've been working really hard on our careers and personal lives, and things have just been taking off for the best. Needless to say, we've been completely swamped and just starting to readjust to our new realities. Yeah, on a personal level,
1: I've personally been exploring my spirituality and my connection with the universe, really taking a step back to be aware of my frequencies and the ones around me, and in the process, I got a new job at a really cool new brewery out here in Asheville. Yes.
0: Yeah. Bitch. So, ya tu sabes,
1: busy, busy, busy. Bitch, you are always, <laughs> always busy.
0: <laughs> like, you're, like, harder to get a hold of than el presidente. Ya tu sabes, girl. You already know. <laughs> But I'm honestly so proud of you and how far you've come over the last few months, B. And just the fact that you're exploring all these different sides of yourself, like, it's been really inspiring for me. It's like they say, less bitchin' and more witchin'. (laughs) Exactly. So, (laughs) on my end, I've just been uncovering my own bullshit, you know, and learning and growing from that. Really working harder to be a better lover to my life partner and just prioritizing my relationship a bit more. I think we can delve into these kinds of things in another episode, pero ya tu sabes, it's just constant growth.
1: Yes. This project is something we both truly, truly care about and don't want to half-ass our episodes, which is why we we're scaling it back to just doing one episode a month opposed to the bi-weekly episodes so we can keep one foot in our lives and just make sure that we there's balance bueno um we're recording this on father's day 2019 actually we're not but we plan we plan on recording this on father's day 2019 Um, so it's the day after father's day regardless um I'd like to take a moment and say Happy Father's Day to all the papa, uh, the papas out there, and shout out to my papi for being number one and always just putting himself behind my sister and I. We are number one, and he's always str like strive to like make sure that we have everything that we need. So, gracias papi, te aprecio. Happy Father's Day to all the papis out there.
0: Feliz día de los padres a todos los papas guapos. <laughs> So, Casey, what are we learning about today?
1: Okay, so recently I've been doing a lot of reflecting, um, not just on my spirituality, but recently one of the things that's been weighing heavy on me is language and what it has meant to me and how we use it to connect to ourselves and others. I also thought about different kinds of language we use to communicate, like, for instance, Verbal, body language, semantic, energetic, so on. And all of that led me down a rabbit hole and I thought about the power that language holds. Eventually, fast forward, I landed on language justice. And I'd remember my friend here in Asheville, Ada, who I actually sat down with for this episode, and all the work that she and others have done in the community to advocate for language justice, specifically for the Latinx community.
0: So what exactly is language justice?
1: Well, from what I've gathered, language justice is a form of social justice. Essentially, it just comes down to power.
0: So power in what
1: way? Uh, Okay, so for instance, um, interpretation often isn't offered in clinics or courthouses or schools even, and you have kids interpreting for their parents, right? Uh, Which I personally have done for my family since I was a child and I still do it today. And nowadays there are organizations uh, like Center for Participatory Change, uh, also called CPC, here in Asheville, uh, trying to make language and understanding betterly accessible to non-English speaking folks. However, imagine walking into a courtroom with zero knowledge of the spoken language, which is primarily English, we're in the United States, and being completely lost feeling a sense of powerlessness essentially and language justice is about reclaiming that power to communicate and reclaiming your language so you create these spaces where people are invited to bring their whole selves into a room where no no language is dominant and every language in the room holds equal footing
0: that's interesting i feel like nowadays there's just so many movements that embody that sentiment Like ungendering and queering language, for instance. Mm -hmm. So in short, it kind of sounds like language justice is just this idea that we can live in a world with room for multiple languages, multiple languages to operate at all levels of society, whether it's at the coffee shop, whether it's at a restaurant, whether it's in the local council, the local government, in a place where they could just coexist. And a world where social structures would not be based on the dominance of one language over all others. Exactly. So Ada, who you'll hear from next,
1: tweeted it best. Quote, language justice goes beyond interpretation and translation. It honors all languages, recognizes language loss, and believes in language reclamation. End quote.
2: So my name is Ada Volkmer. I am a Mexicana viviendo en el sur de los Estados Unidos. I am uh, 41 years old. I've lived in Asheville for 20 of those. Um, Yeah, I'm a white Mexican. Uh, I'm an interpreter. I'm a social justice interpreter. I work for the Center for Participatory Change. CPC? CPC. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Cool. So, what does CPC do? CPC, the Center for Participatory Change, trains different people. Mm -hmm. And so, we have three programs. One of the programs is the Language Justice Circle, where we train interpreters. Uh, We have the popular education circle where we train popular educators to work with kids uh, so that when people, when adults are having their like meetings, um, the popular educators are spending time with the kids and like teaching the kids about the same social justice issues that the adults are learning about. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have the racial equity circle um, that hosts Black Love, which is like a gathering of um people of african descent here in asheville and it also has um, a training program called the racial equity learning exchange the racial equity learning exchange so training people of color to be consultants to do that like facilitation
1: work around racial equity oh cool Okay, entonces, what I really wanted to hone in on was language justice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the first time I ever heard about it was through your podcast, Se Vez Escucha, um, and it kind of just blew my mind, because it's not something that I particularly thought about, but when you guys kept talking about it, I was mm-hmm. like, holy crap, this is my whole life. Mm-hmm. So do you care to kind of explain what language justice is?
2: Yeah. Um, for me, I think of language justice as being the way that we use language or talk about language in our fight for social justice. Okay. And so how are we using language in the fight for gender justice or LGBTQ justice or immigrant rights or climate justice? Some people talk about language justice as kind of being able to speak in the ways that we want um, and being heard and being understood. Um, some people talk about creating spaces where there's no dominant language. Um, some people talk about like it's a way to bring down uh, barriers so that people can speak to each other across language. Mm-hmm. But oh, concretely, that can look like translators, that can look like interpreters, that can look like having interpretation equipment. That can look like, um, you know, if you're having an organizing meeting, that all of the materials are in all of the languages that are spoken, that the facilitation is in all the languages that are spoken, that there are interpreters that are interpreting both ways, that the written materials are in uh, all the languages. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of like the concrete. E... Um, for me, that's kind of like the mechanics of language justice. Mm-hmm. But for me, and especially over these last couple of years, I'm trying to think about like how is it bigger than this? Mm-hmm. How it does it include like non-gendered, non-sexist language? how does it include those of us who grew up like speaking spanglish and like feeling comfortable mm-hmm. in this like spanglish space how does it include black english or african american vernacular english what about folks that don't have access to their ancestral languages because of colonialism because of slavery because of assimilation because of immigration so my thing really over the last couple of years it's like see it's interpreters it's translators but it's, it's so much more. It's so much more. Because I want more people to identify with the language justice movement. Mm-hmm. Not just, like, oh, like, a couple of, like, Latinx folks that interpret, you know? Like, se me muy pequeño. For me, I think, like, we all have experience with language. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, if we can broaden the, the scope of, of what language justice means, that then means more people will
1: identify with the movement totally i agree and even then even so like lately i've been thinking about language and how important it is and like how it affects every single person so i can see why you want to kind of broaden your Mm -hmm. scope Mm -hmm. because um at first again going back to your podcast i thought it was just for interpreters Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. i started listening to it and Mm -hmm. i heard some more episodes and I was like, no, I totally can relate to all of this. And one of them was queering uh, language. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. how do you feel, like, that episode talks about how it's kind of like a new movement, and how do you feel that's kind of flowing within, like, the differences between the United States and uh, queering language in, like, Latin America? Right. Um,
2: So this is a topic that is close to my heart like yo soy straighty uh-huh. um, <laughs> that has a lot of like queer community uh-huh. um so for me the digo then like for me I'm all about like opening what this language just this thing can be. So I think that as language started to change, um as folks were using Latin X, Latin A, Latin Aroba um, as there were these more terms that people were using to identify themselves, mm-hmm. and those terms didn't have necessarily an equivalent... Like, we're, we're developing language all the time, and I feel like the mm-hmm. queer language is like the LGBT language, like, está creciendo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's so interesting, and I try to... those do, cosas, como... I try to use examples from Latin America because there's kind of this pushback like that's colonialism, like eso son cosas de gringos, (laughs) así no habla la gente allá, Um, por siempre ustedes exportando cosas, you know? And then I'm fucking like Googling like, queer C U I R, like in the Dominican Republic, like non-sexist language in Argentina like todos estos ejemplos en México about how to use non-sexist and LGBTQ vocab like. Mm-hmm. so I think that if you put research and time into it like you'll see that it's like a Latin American movement as well mm-hmm. um, and even if it wasn't a Latin American movement, even if it was just in the States, like tenemos derecho de crear un idioma yeah. right, like cuantos millones de nosotros no estamos aquí like, we have a right to
1: to make a new language. Of course. And have a, create a space where mm-hmm. people are comfortable mm-hmm. and can feel like themselves. Yeah.
0: So before we go any further, I wanted to touch base on the queering language movement that Ada talks about going on in Argentina as well as in Mexico. Do you know what's going on in Latin America and the Caribbean maybe? So yeah. One of the articles I read about was uh, specifically
1: about this group of women from Argentina, seven to be exact. They started this collective or they they come together to bring their forces to create this platform. And essentially they're translators and interpreters who were tire- who were tired of hearing gendered language as well as not feeling represented in their line of work. So they formed the collective that I was talking about, which is called Traductoras e Intérpretes Feministas de Argentina. So, through their work, they've managed to create a space for now 700, 750 women, okay, of inclusivity. Yeah, they started as seven. Wow. And they believe that language is revolutionary and that it's fundamental to one's identity to feel included.
0: You know, it's really impressive and inspiring to see countries countries in Latin America becoming change makers in this area. Yeah, and my absolute
1: favorite line from this article that I read is La RAE, which is um, Real Academia Española, no es la dueña de la lengua. Los dueños de la lengua son los usuarios. La lengua está viva. Se muere sola. Avanza y hay cambios. Si hay nuevas tecnologías, tiene que haber nuevas palabras que la nombre y si hay nuevas visiones del mundo como la visión feminista obviamente que va a haber nuevas palabras que describan esta visión. So essentially, it's just saying that language evolves. Like the Real Academia Española, which is basically the the law quote lawmakers of language of Spanish language don't dictate it. Like we are are in charge of our own language. We have the right to take charge of it and as we evolve and as technology evolves so does language so going back to just language justice as a whole um why do you feel this is important and why do you feel like other people should probably like open their minds or maybe like look into what language justice is First of all, I think it's
2: important because I think about, like, my own experience, and I think about my own experience um, growing up on the border, living in Mexico, going to school in the United States, switching back and forth between languages, between cultures, and then really identifying with, you know... So many of us who have like that that same experience in La like, Casa se habla un idioma, and like out in the world, like you speak another one. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to bring those experiences to like fight for justice, um, and again, like concretely, I think about all of us as like bilingual, multilingual people in the United States who can use this skill as a career, but not just as a career like, as a way to bring language justice, like, to these different movements. And so it's not just, like, an English movement that's, like, fighting for justice step este país. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a way for people to be able to express themselves. I think it's a way for people to, like, directly affected people to be heard, um, I think it's a, sh- a way to shift power dynamics. Mm, I read about that today. Um, so I think it can be. It, I think it, it, and I, and then I think it's like so personal, um, and I like that part of it. Mm-hmm. Like I like the part of it where like we get to bring ourselves to things, and I think that we talk about so much about like all our different identities, but sometimes like the way we speak, it's important to us, but we don't like name it as much. Mm-hmm. See, does that make sense? Yeah,
1: I understand. Mm-hmm cool Mm -hmm. and i know we've talked about this before i think Mm -hmm. the first time we met Uh um but how did you get into this like how did you get to interpreting and like why and i know that you're you're passionate about Uh it but um how did this become uh, come about the truth is like like i said i grew
2: up on the border i grew up i don't remember not speaking both languages um I know what my parents say. I know my parents say that I would like walk around the house and be like "ru ru ru ru" y me decían, "¿Qué es eso?" Y decían, "Eso es inglés." so I grew up in this, you know, you know, I I grew up in this kind of unique place, but now with a not a very unique experience, I think like many of us have this uh, total. And I moved to North Carolina. I started doing immigrant rights organizing. Um, there is a meeting at the Catholic Church where an attorney from the ACLU is going to come and talk about Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. The interpreter that we had hired didn't show up, and my very good friend and mentor like came with the microphone, and said like, "No, you go like interpreter. Te toca." And I was like, I can't, I can't. And she was like, You're from the border, there is de frontera. You can do this. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. and she gave me the microphone. I was like, I can't, I can't. And then the meeting started, and I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't. Can. Um, and then from there, I've been, I've been interpreting. So it's like 14 years ago.
1: Wow. Um, and how has this evolved your life?
2: One, it's like connected me to the language and to the culture. Like, vivimos en el oeste de Carolina del Norte. Like, vivimos en los Estados Unidos. Like, easily, you know, like, it could be, like, that's far away. Mm-hmm. And so, in, in a way, it has kept me, like, tengo que hablar en español. Mm-hmm. It's changed my life because I get to be in these spaces and I get to, like, bring this gift to these spaces so that people are able to talk to each other and I get to witness a lot of awesome conversations. And it has helped me... Just kind of like be enough, because of course, like my family in Mexico is like como like tú interprete like tu, tu español es malísimo like hablas como pocha, you know? Like I get all of that pushback from my family in Mexico. Really? Yeah, and for me, it's been very healing to be like no, like like my Spanish is good enough, like yeah. my English is good enough, like I can do this, I can fucking do this, and yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Pero, ¿qué
1: es pocha? Porque yo
2: no ah, sé. Ah, pocha, como dirían ustedes, like, when you have, like, broken, oh, broken Spanish. They call me Mhm. Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, exactamente. Yeah. Yeah, I get that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So, it's kind of, like, an empowering, like, empowering for you. Yeah. knowing that you can, like, it, it, regardless, like, this is enough. Yes.
2: Cool. Yes. And since part of my work is training interpreters, um, and part of my work is like mentoring new interpreters And specifically like first generation folks Second generation folks Folks with DACA Folks without papers You know, I feel like To, to be able to then like train other folks to do this And to train other folks to be like We are enough. Mm -hmm. Like, your Spanish, no, mi español, no. I just have house Spanish. Oh, I didn't I didn't study. I don't know where the accent marks go. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't need accent marks for interpretation. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Gracias a Dios. And your vocabulary, like, grows. Like, your vocabulary grows. Um, We did a class back in the fall for, like, Spanish, for native Spanish speakers called Serpent's Tongue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. and the professor that helped us during that class, who's a professor at the University of North Carolina at Asheville, said, And, like, all of us were, like, crying, crying, crying. Yeah. And it's like it's like looking at the sky at night, and you just see a bunch of stars. And if you don't know, you just see a bunch of stars. But when you start to study and learn, you start to see, like... This constellation and this other constellation. Mm-hmm. So I think that's been okay. really healing. Okay. So that's what I love about the work, too. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Let the record show that our eyes. Watery. Watery. We have both have watery eyes. <laughs> uh, yeah, because it's so special and it's so close to, mm. like, my heart. And I mm. never thought that it was, like, anything that, like... I could relate to, but it's so relatable. Like, language justice. Mm -hmm. No Mm sabía. Nunca. And, like, one of the articles I was reading today was talking about how language justice essentially is, like, taking the power back. Because you will sit in a room, let's say, for instance, in a courtroom. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm There are interpreters, usually. Mm -hmm. Um, And, let's say, my mom, who doesn't speak any English, goes to court, has no idea what's going on. She has no power. But if you have someone there who can interpret for you, right. you have some sense of power back, right. which is beautiful and I love that. And I never really thought about it that way, so just listening to you guys talk about um, just um, language justice mm-hmm. kind of gave me a completely different paradigm shift, which is kind of why like this was important for me to mm-hmm. do. Because mm-hmm. I don't, I also think that a lot of other people don't think about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, And Once they hear it, it's gonna be like, wow, that clicks. That makes so much sense. Like, what can I do now to make it like? Or, I grew Uh up like in this space and I never knew what name to put to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And even now, like, there's language justice in every facet of my life personally, and I'm sure other people feel the same way. So. Yeah, this, what you're talking about is beautiful because mm. it just, it touches home. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. A lo mejor ustedes no recuerda el idioma, pero el idioma lo recuerda a ustedes. Dude, I know
1: <laughs> that it's <laughs> home. <laughs> but just like listening to Ada speak about the different ways language justice takes shape resonates with me on so many different
0: levels. Girl, Preach. It's just so empowering knowing that us, as first-gen Latinx, aren't alone with the sentiment Ada is sharing. Sometimes we get judged by family members or even society at large for not having mastered Spanish. It's really nice to feel that we can still use our language for power and that this is more than enough. Yep. You know, I never honestly thought about myself as a language justice warrior, but there's so many instances in which I feel like i have been throughout my life
1: yeah like
0: something is very basic you know for example at my previous job there was some someone a woman that worked in custodial services and we got really close we talked about like everyday life and she was signing up for her immigration papers and she asked me to help her she asked me to help her study for the test to ask her fill out the forms um she asked me to help her do um mock interviews and I did that with her and I was so happy and I just felt like I was using the privilege of my knowing two languages to really better and change someone's life, you know, and she even um got to a point where she would come to me for several different things, like even buying some something as simple as like a plane ticket. And I just kind of helped her, you know, learn how to use the Internet and things like that slowly but surely. And You know, even at your local pharmacy, like, I remember once there was a woman who couldn't communicate with the pharmacist about the prescription she was taking, and, you know, I kind of waited it out. I was like, let me see if they could eventually find some common ground, but it just wasn't happening, so I had to intervene. The pharmacist asked me, like, hey, are you looking for a job? Because we need a bilingual person to work for us part-time on the weekends, and I was just like, I'm good. But it just in so many ways, and even, you know, most importantly, like, my parents, um growing up just translating things explaining things to them explaining to them even you know my dad knew english but the nuances in the language as you said as it evolves as it changes sometimes it's like you need to explain to them what certain things mean in context explain to them you know the letter that they got from the bank and things like that <laughs> free translation services so <laughs> <laughs> i agree 100 percent, and i feel like Growing up
1: in Miami, we just didn't Mm -hmm. think about it as much. It was just second nature. Like, my parents migrated to this country as everybody else's parents did in Miami. And we are just a tool that they use to help get them along. And mostly it was just when it came to, like, court or the bank or... Like mortgages and like car loans, or whatever it was, right, because they walk down the street, they don't need to to know English, nobody <laughs> needs to know English in Miami. When I heard Ada speak and the examples that she gave, I felt like it resonated with me so much because again, I know that neither of us thought about this growing up or even now, up until I had this conversation with her, and she just put a name to something that I had never never had a name for or even thought was a thing that existed it just was it was part of life right and then I moved to North Carolina where I again I love my friends and my friends are amazing pero yo soy la única there's like maybe 20 of us in this whole land of the sea of white people right I went for to court not so long ago um and everyone speaks English and there was this man that stepped up to to speak to the judge and he had no idea what was happening. No. And because of his confusion, people were laughing at him and I didn't want to overstep at the moment because we're in the court of law and I don't know what's going to happen to me. I'm still new to the state. Um, But he he raised his hand and he agreed to something that he might have not known what was. So then after the fact, I went up to him and I asked him, Señor, ¿sabe lo que que le dijeron? And he didn't know, even though his lawyer was in court. Wow. Exactly. (laughs) So I took the time to explain it to him because, like, who knows who has taken the time to do that for our parents, to do that for the people that we care about. Not knowing the language or not having to know the language because, again, where we grew up, it's not necessary per se. I never knew that I was a guerrera for language justice, but it just seems like to me that it's in every facet of our life.
0: Yep, and here we are, and here you are. And what an irresponsible lawyer, dude. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> that needs to violate some code of conduct and like a prosecutor professionalization standards. Like, come on. Anyways, I know he's getting his, but what
1: comes around, what goes around, comes around. And yeah, I'm glad that I was there for him that day to kind of just break things down.
0: I'm glad to be.
1: Another question I had for you was how, what challenges do you see mm within this realm of language justice and or foresee
2: i think one of the challenges what you just said too around that power like one of the challenges is also to check ourselves as interpreters and as bilingual people who have the privilege to understand what is being said and there's a lot of times when you are put in this position, like, it, it depends on you. Te sube la cabeza, right? And you're like, mm-hmm. it all depends on me, like, my <laughs> word choice and how I'm going to say this. Um. So I think part of our work, especially because we work with interpreters that get to interpret these shitty places, right? We work with interpreters that are at the fucking hospital at the court. ICE, police, school systems, you know, like organizing spaces like we're we're not with like exec corporate executives and you know fucking multimillionaires mm-hmm. um i think it's important to check ourselves and let people's voice just be people's voice okay and be really clear like my work here is this bridge for like communication and not to get into like like a poder soy yo like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna decide i'm gonna get the best result even if it's the best result for the person right like i'm gonna tweak the message so that this person gets the best result mm-hmm. like, that's not your job yeah that's not your job and that this is it can get away from you and i think we need to like work on like checking that mm-hmm. in ourselves
1: being aware
2: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. i think also as like second and third generation folks i think like vocab i think like Building vocab and keeping vocab and reclaiming vocab—that's something that we are trying to work on. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. There's this whole like tech thing that I'm not really sure of. Like you know, like una máquina un día is gonna like do all this interpreting for us and all this translating for us. Mm -hmm. But yeah, who knows? Who knows? I think uh, I've like heard podcasts that talk about like there's technology that assists us um and there's technology that interpreters use but the possibility of technology like replacing the interpreter like probably not but all hmm. so every every once in a while people are like oh my god like no <laughs> <laughs> robots are going to take out oh jobs. my god yeah <laughs> i <laughs> can be terrible <laughs> um yeah Or there's a lot of, like, there's a big push for, like, remote interpreting. Okay. So it's, like, not live. It's, like, the interpreter's sitting in some booth somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can be tricky because I think that the, the type of interpreting that you get when that happens, like, it's not the same. Like, there's a... ¿cómo se dice, como que, Practicality to it. Like, super, i está interpret it Like, we just call her in. Mm-hmm. But then I think that there's this lack of humanity. Yeah. Like I think there's this
1: definite the, lack of humanity. No connection mm-hmm. between the person and... Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I can see that. Mm-hmm. So, those are challenges within the language justice realm. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think might be some challenges to achieving language justice if that's ever to be true? Yeah.
2: I think that Part of it is what you were talking about—that the perception that it's just for interpreters. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a challenge, um, or the perception that it's just for Spanish speakers, mm-hmm. right? Um, like, there's only like those are the only people that need interpretation in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other challenge is that it's costly and so when you approach a business or an organization or a nonprofit around like, oh, we want to bring language justice to this or you know, to this organization, it's gonna cost X amount per interpreter and there's two interpreters that need to come, plus we need to rent the equipment, plus all the documents need to be translated. That costs X amount per word. And so it can kind of like be like a there como sticker shock like there can mm-hmm. be like a little bit of shock about the the money that's required to make it happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Yeah. And so what ends up happening is like no mejor le preguntamos a, like Cat yeah, who's bilingual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I trust me, I've done it before. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so then there's like this double burden on on folks that are already like marginalized. Like now you're also the translator and interpreter and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. For no extra
1: pay. I know, I know. Been there. <laughs> what are some of the bigger challenges to achieving language justice, and what are some solutions? Uh huh.
2: I think some of the solutions are really, really working with uh, other language combinations. Like, the big bulk of folks are English-Spanish, and I think we really need to not just talk about, like, oh, we need to have other languages. Like, we really need to reach out to... Um, to include other folks who are interpreting in other language combinations. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, the, like, how do we, how do we broaden it? How do we talk about language justice in this way that more people identify with it? That's my big one. Those are my big ones. And so, um, I think just, again, like, talking about this in a way that, like, every single person sees themselves in it. Mm -hmm. Every single person, even if you're, like, a monolingual person, um, or, not even if you are a monolingual person, that you also identify with this movement and that you're also like fighting for it in whatever space you may be, mm-hmm. right? Because you might be in the schools, you might be in the coffee shop, you might be in this nonprofit, you might be in government, and how can you also fight for language justice even if you're not um, an interpreter? or if you speak one language.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, language comes in many forms. Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm, So mm
1: -hmm. just finding yourself in that space. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. that's where it comes in for me personally, like thinking about language and how it affects us. And like I'm reading this book um, right now called Call Them By Their Real Names. And it's by, uh, I forget her name, but she's a feminist. And it's just, like, essays about, like, the United States right now and, mm-hmm. like, how language is so important. And, like, in the law, for instance. Mm-hmm. And she talks about our president and, like, people in power and how their language is so core and, like, so important mm-hmm. to all the changes and everything that is put forth to people who are not in that same position of mm-hmm. power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that was what kind of started like getting my gears moving in regards to like languages Uh more than just like English Spanish Uh but just overall Uh like language comes in so many different forms yeah 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 yeah. cool um and what kind of projects are you personally or like CPC working on
2: um, so we keep uh, training interpreters So in August we will have our two-day language justice interpreter training August 3 and 4 here in Asheville um, And there's more information about that at CPC's website Which is cpcwnc.org um, I'm starting to dream and scheme about the second season of Se Escucha mm-hmm. Which is our language justice podcast um, we did the first season, we've put out a couple of mini sodes and now oh, I'm ready to, like, start on the second season. Mm-hmm. And I think I want to dedicate the second season to, like, other folks who are doing language justice That's work. awesome, yeah. And, in that, and, again, in that, like, broad way. Mm-hmm. So reaching out to folks that wouldn't be, like, your typical, you know, language justice, los mismos de siempre. Mm-hmm. I hope that we do another Serpent's Tongue. I hope that we do another class of... Uh, Spanish class for native Spanish speakers, because mm-hmm. um, I feel like that was a super healing experience, and it was like everyone um, there like identified as Latinx. Everyone there had like grown up speaking Spanish and mm-hmm. had not had access to like formal ed- uh, education mm-hmm. in Spanish, um, and so I think it was very life changing for many of us to just like free ourselves from this like shame. I think that a lot of us had a lot of shame and it just kind of like helped us like fuck it, aquí estamos He like, estoy aquí yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: Yeah. Yeah. cool yay, that sounds so exciting I'm curious a little bit more about Seves Escucha, Mm -hmm. so how did that come about Um, and like, who have you reached who do you plan on working with like, tell me everything
2: (laughs) So again, like for me it's all about like bringing in more folks. We are a small organization. We work here in Western North Carolina, and so how can we spread this like language justice gospel to other folks mm-hmm. and so we started with these nerdy YouTube videos <laughs> that talk about like interpreting and role in ethic, and what do you do when the person says this, like what do you say? So we made these super cute videos that are on youtube mm. Mm-hmm um and then we made a print curriculum like chapter one chapter two chapter three like how to train interpreters in a language justice setting Mm -hmm. so then we had like the video and we had the like print manual um and we were like well fuck it like lo que falta es un un podcast Mm -hmm. right because as soon as we had printed the curriculum we were like ooh, i would not say that about queering language anymore Ooh, i would not say that about recovery techniques anymore but i'm not gonna reprint yeah the curriculum every six months because things are changing but if we do a podcast like that can be the update that can be the update because i'm vivo and like guess mm-hmm. things change like the podcast can change with it um so my co-hosts and i andrea golden Um, we put out the podcast last year and we chose Cereza Escucha because I think that language justice like yes you should be able to hear it but you should also be able to see it in the community like it's not just about the equipment and the interpreter whispering in your ear like you should be able to see it and feel it out in the world Mm -hmm. Um, and also we wanted to because we both had experience in uh, organizing spaces we wanted all we wanted to have, like, the title be a chant. Like, Se ve, se escucha, estamos en la lucha. Oh, cool. And then each of the titles uh, of the episodes have, like, um, chant titles. So, Lex Niñez unidas," Jamás Será Vencidex, We're Here, We're Queer. Ya no me acuerdo de los So, it's, like, so empowering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we wanted it to, like, um, connect to that, like, immigrant rights organizing past that we had.
1: Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So what do you feel like will be the first season compared to the second? You say mm-hmm. you want it to be more inclusive? Yeah. Um I'm still thinking about it, so if you have ideas, so other <laughs> folks have ideas, but I think the first
2: one we kinda wanted to give the lay of the land and really explain like this is um, what language justice means to uh, us um, this is what language justice means to CPC, here are the other programs of CPC so everyone was at, that was on staff at the time or all of the circles that are part of CPC like came to Seves Escucha so it was very like Asheville most of the guests were from Asheville mm-hmm. um, I think it was very like this is our work here at CPC and so this next one I'm thinking about hitting the road um, and like taking equipment and just talking to other folks cool um so there's like somebody who does like um, copy editing with a language justice perspective i'm curious to talk to some of the co-ops and collectives that um are doing language justice work that's awesome um there's a person from dc who's, like, doing a ton of, like, queer interpreter trainings. Well, um, if you go to D.C., yeah. get up Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, that, I'm t- yeah, so I'm just trying to
1: think about, like, the you novel, know, like... That's cool. So just shifting lenses and looking bit. at it from a different perspective. Yeah, a little bit. So I just want to circle back to talking about how um, sometimes there's pushback in the Latin... Latin American, like, culture mm-hmm. and, like, countries from, like, queering language and all yeah. of this language justice. Yeah. So, yeah. what would you say to those people?
2: Um, I would say one, if you don't want to say Latinx, you don't have to say Latinx. hmm But you also don't have to, like, shit on people that do say Latinx. hmm Two, language is changing all the goddamn time. Nadia habla años, <laughs> Or even a hundred years ago, Vuestra Merced. Like we don't talk like that anymore. Uh-huh. Um, three, a little bit, because <laughs> I'm super cheesy Whitney Houston. But like the the like the future generations. Like if you're not gonna pay attention to what the future generations are doing, like you're gonna get you're gonna get left behind. Yeah. You know,
1: <laughs> super cheesy. <Whitney> Houston.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think like if this is the way that people are using to describe themselves then like we need to change and the language needs to change mm-hmm. I personally don't agree that if it's like oh it's a group of people and when you say todos that includes the, the women and the non-binary people too really mm-hmm. like if I said hola todas and there's one cis man there like he's like is that uh, reflecting who's in the room mhm and it as an interpreter it can be tricky, and as an interpreter it does take like unprogramming. Yeah. Um, but it's it's um, it's definitely possible. And now when I go to places and they're like, "What are you doing? Are you doing the X? Are you doing the A?" And I think about like my queer compass who are, like, the opposite of queering something is making it fucking strict and, and straight yeah. and boxy, you know? So it's not, again, like, okay, todos vamos a usar latiné, y solo se puede usar latiné, and we're going to shame people that don't use latiné. Mm. Like, I think that, you know, that spirit of, like, you know, just kind of, like, being open and being flexible and, like, playing with shit. So sometimes when I'm interpreting, I'm like, todos, todas, todes. Sometimes I'm like, todex. Niños, niñas, niñas, niñexes. You know, I just
1: kind of like play around with it mm-hmm. and try not to be so strict either. Cool. Yeah. Because yeah. if not, I know that it turns some people off when mm-hmm. like you're super like, no, it has to be this way. Or instead, maybe hey, no, like this is why we use the uh-huh. X. This is yeah. why we use the arroba This yeah. is why we use the A uh-huh. So just being inclusive, essentially. hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I think that's it. Unless you have anything else you would like to share. Uh, no, I guess just the plug to follow
2: the Center for Participatory Change, to follow and subscribe and check out uh, Cebes Escucha.
1: Yes, it's such a good podcast. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, that was Ada and Kat in Asheville. And, yeah. Ciao. Ciao. Uh, Besitos. Today's cogotazo goes to All the ignorant people out there that discriminate and harass others for speaking a language outside of English, including Aaron Schlossberg's Schlossberg. Who cares? But yes, him. (laughs) (laughs) The New York attorney who threatened to call ICE on Spanish restaurant employees in Manhattan a little over a year ago, dude. Not just him, but the woman who was caught last October yelling obscenities at a family speaking Spanish at a Virginia restaurant. I mean, can you believe that she had the audacity to ask them for their passports? It, goes to the, it mm-hmm. also goes to the woman working at a California gas station yelling at a customer for speaking Spanish. Like, what the fuck? Then this just goes on and on and on. Y'all need to relax. Te me calmas o te calmo?
0: for sure you know what really really gets me though there is absolutely nothing in the constitution or any federal law that supports the notion that people should only be speaking english because this is america Ugh. fun fact y'all the united states has no official language yes so uh, why are these come mierdas acting like they have some sort of authority on the matter uh okay Ugh.
1: okay i'm gonna take a step back Obviously, it's something that's really dear, near and dear to us because se me sale, siempre mm, se me sale. Mm, mm, mm. And I have absolutely no shame. It's beautiful. But let's get down to the nitty gritty. According to history, the founding fathers didn't see a need to declare English as the official language since it was already the dominant language of the United States. They also did not want to offend fellow Americans who helped fight for independence, mind-blowing
0: i know right so revolutionary (laughs) but not surprisingly the original 13 colonies spoke a ton of languages including dutch french and german and not to mention the many languages spoken by native americans enslaved africans were forbidden from using their native languages
1: and at the same time forbidden from learning how to read and write English because slave owners were afraid that they would start rebellions.
0: Not to mention that Native American children were forced to attend boarding schools or they got punished for speaking their own native languages. And many Japanese schools started by immigrants in Hawaii were forced to shut down during World War II. You know, something that Dr. Wayne Wright, a professor at the Purdue University, said really got to me. In an article about language, he says, and I quote, the sad thing about debates about language is that they're rarely about language itself, but the people who happen to speak those languages. End quote. Yeah. It is so clearly evident in the
1: people we see being harassed in the streets. Always an next for not learning the language. Quote, right? Not learning the language.
0: What language? I know. There's no official language, bro. Fuck. Calm. People need to calm down, but... You know what's crazy though? Like there are actually 32 states that have adopted legislation or some sort of constitutional amendment to make English their official language, including Florida. <laughs> Qué
1: pena, bro. Qué pena. <laughs> so, in Miami-Dade County, English was made the official language back in 1980. <laughs> I know, right? Okay. In response It's in response to all the amazing immigration that Miami had by the Cubans and Central Americans. Represent, baby. Specifically in response to the Maria boat lift that brought about 125,000 Cubans to South Florida. That meant county funds could not be spent translating documents and offering non-emergency services in Spanish or any other languages. It wasn't until 1993 that this was repealed. My sister, my little sister was born in 1993,
0: bro. Come on. Girl, for real. Casey, so now that we've discussed language justice and Ava has dropped so much knowledge around language justice, in what ways do you foresee us being able to start these conversations in our communities and helping to create change?
1: Well, I mean... I think the most important thing is to come from a place of understanding and patience. Making sure that when we do connect or explain these evolutions of language to our families, friends, and so on, maybe talking about non gendered language evolving in Latin America and how it's not just a, an American thing, so it's just more relatable.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, preach. I think it really just comes down to the individual. If you speak a language other than English, Find ways to get involved in your community and use your power of language to change the lives mm. of others and help bring language justice into the mainstream, kind of like in the same ways that we have. And we really wanted to uh, to
1: thank Adam for shedding light and putting a name to something that both KB and I, and I'm sure most of you, have to maneuver on a daily basis. So... Thank you for tuning in, y'all. Be sure to check out Cerveza Escucha podcast. And shout out to Center for Participatory Change and Ala Volkmer for sitting down with us and opening up our minds. You can learn more about the Center for Participatory Change and Language Justice at cpcwnc.org. You can also look for opportunities locally. Simple things like volunteering at pro bono clinics, nonprofits, NGOs that work with the POC, Latinx, LGBTQ communities.
0: Well, this wraps up season one. Can you believe it, Kathy? Yes! (laughs) Thank you all so much for joining us on this journey we hope we made you laugh we hope we made you cry we hope we made you question our sanity (laughs) that's for (laughs) sure stay tuned for season two it's starting mid-august and remember to follow us on instagram at estoyaki podcast on facebook estoy at estoyaki podcast and on twitter we're at estoyaki pod
1: This season was made possible by all of you. Today's episode was produced by Taylor Dinkovich with music by First World. Be sure to find his music on SoundCloud. Próxima. Besitos.